0: Are you free this morning? Come on. Are you free? Come on. Let's just give a shout of praise. He's worthy. All right. We have been set free by the blood of the lamb who is worthy to be praised. I love it. Thanks, buddy. Then Jesus arose with my freedom in his hands. Oh, I can't wait to preach this morning. But before we get to that, let me just give you some prayer requests that we have in our church family. In Lynchburg General is Sarah Barnett. Penny Crawley, Ricky King, Virginia Baptist, is Shalane Green, and Carl Hale. These people need our prayers. They're, 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 they're sick, and obviously, it's very lonely in the hospitals when you can't have anybody visit you because of this COVID mess. And then, of course, all the students and everybody else in this town that are dealing with COVID. I mean, what a mess this is, huh? It's another wave of this stuff, and I don't know about you, but I've lost several friends uh, Just recently. To death because of this horrible virus and having been through it myself and it's just an awful thing. So we need to continue to pray for those who are suffering through that and then also continue to pray for the families of Gary Crop and Vicki Hudson and Linda Kidd, all of which went home to be with the Lord this week. Well, let's go to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for our freedom. We thank you, God, that it is the freedom in you that truly sets us free. When you rose from the tomb, you rose with our freedom in your hands. Lord, you are so deserving of our worship today for that reason alone. But Lord, even as we worship, our hearts are burdened for those who are facing difficult days, those who are ill and those who are uh, suffering through COVID and those who are facing cancer and all kinds of disease that exists in this world. So, Lord, our prayer is that you would bring healing and that you would bring comfort to their bodies. And, Lord, also to their minds as they're dealing with this many times alone simply because nobody can come see them in the hospital. So, Lord, we pray for those. And then also, Lord, we pray for the families of those who've lost loved ones uh, today, Father. Um, I think of uh, these families, Lord, and the heartache that they must be dealing with. And I pray, God, that only as you can, that you would bring them comfort that you would bring them peace that passes all understanding. And now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would hold back my mouth from saying anything I don't need to say. That, Lord, you would help me as I try my best to deliver the power of your word through this incredible book of Galatians. That, Lord, you would speak through me and into the hearts of all of those who are watching and listening today so that we would walk away feeling as though we know what your book means by this incredible letter. But more than that, Lord, but they walk away with convicted hearts, hearts that want to be closer to you, to walk with you, to live lives that are fruitful. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been following along this year, you know that throughout the year we've been doing this uh, sort of this 30,000 feet above the air, I mean above the, the, the land uh, coverage of the, the whole... Bible, just kind of getting a, a, a feel for the landscape of each book. And so, in January, we started with the Old Testament, got all the way through the Old Testament, entered into the New Testament, camped out in the book of Acts for about six weeks, and now we're continuing through the New Testament. Pastor Jonathan, the last two weeks, has done 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and now this week we come to the book of Galatians, and it's my turn and opportunity to speak, and of course, I'm always grateful for that. Happy anniversary to Jonathan and Sherry Falwell, and happy birthday to our… Awesome, incredible pastor, no greater pastor on the planet, in my opinion, than Jonathan Farwell. and we're great, great, greatly blessed to have him. And I'm grateful that he gives me these opportunities, but I guess the best way to kind of give you a picture of what we're dealing with is to go back into history, because I'm a big history buff, and give you this quick little story. On November 28, 1979, flight 901, Air New Zealand flight was leaving New Zealand on its way to Antarctica. 257 people on board. They're flying on a sightseeing mission to Antarctica. Everybody on board's excited. It's going to be a great trip. Weather's fine. Flight goes perfectly fine until they begin their descent through the clouds. And suddenly, on the descent, the pilots, who were very experienced, by the way, noticed something very wrong. They noticed that when they had put in the flight coordinates at the beginning of the flight, they had put in coordinates that were two degrees off. Just two degrees. That's it. But because of that two degrees, it placed their flight way off course because of the distance in which they were flying. See, pilots will tell you there's a one in 60 degree rule in flying. And the one in 60 degree rule of thumb is basically this. For every one degree that you are off in your coordinates you will be off by one mile for every 60 miles you fly. For instance, if you leave Lynchburg Airport and you're flying to Roanoke and you put in coordinates that are just one degree off, then you will attempt to be landing in Roanoke one mile away from the actual airport. And so you can just imagine on a flight from New Zealand all the way to Antarctica how far off course these pilots were. And it turns out they were 28 miles east of where they were supposed to be. The problem is, flying through the clouds, they had no way of knowing that they were flying directly into the path of Mount Erebus, a 12,000-foot active volcano. And in a matter of just moments, that flight, 901, Air New Zealand flight, carrying 257 passengers, flew right into the side of Mount Erebus and instantly killed all 257 people. All because of a small, little two-degree mistake. Now, what Paul is dealing with with the Galatians might seem like it's a small little thing because it's just a little off from what he was teaching them. But the reason Paul's language and verbiage in this book is so strong is because he knows that with a little bit of small leaven in the dough, it leavens the entire dough of bread. And so, the point is this. Small actions accumulated over a very long time make a huge difference. Now, that's sometimes a good thing. If you save your money a little bit at a time over the course of many years, you'll have a lot of money. But sometimes it's a bad thing. When you begin to believe little doctrinal errors just a little bit at a time, it eventually becomes Somebody who is doctrinally way off base and will cause you eventually to question your entire belief system at all. And that's exactly what's going on in the book of Galatians. And so when we read this letter, it's got a different tone than the other letters because Paul is not just concerned, he's ticked off. He was there not long before he wrote this letter. So he writes this letter in 49 A.D., just about a year after he'd been there, and he'd been in this area of Galatia on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, and they had gone to this area, which is now modern-day Turkey, by the way, and they had planted all these churches: Derby, Lystra, all these. And so Galatia not a city; it's a region, and they had planted several churches in this region. But after Paul left, shortly after, comes this group called the Judaizers, and the Judaizers are coming in, and they're claiming to be Christians. They claim Jesus is the Messiah. We Believe all that, but in addition to your belief in Jesus, you really need to be circumcised like all the Jewish people too. Oh, and also, you really need to follow the Mosaic law and you need to follow the Jewish calendar. And so, all this stuff is happening. They're teaching the Judah, they're teaching the people of Galatia that what Paul taught them was good. Oh, but there's more. And Paul catches word of this and he says, No, 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 no. That's not at all the case. Here's the gospel. It is Jesus, only Jesus. So you can divide the book of Galatians into three different categories. First, it's a personal testimony, chapters 1 and 2, of what Paul went through. Because in his letter to the Galatians, he's trying to remind them, look, I'm an apostle of Jesus. I have the credentials. I have walked with him. He taught me. I even went over to to Arabia for three years where Jesus taught him all that he knew. Now, we don't know what he did in Arabia, but we know this. Jesus was intimately involved with teaching Paul. Jesus had already gone back to to heaven, but through his Holy Spirit was training Paul through all this. And so Paul makes this great defense in chapters 1 and 2 of his personal testimony, why what he was teaching them is the truth. And then chapters 3 and 4 is very doctrinal. You learn a lot about just the doctrine of faith and grace through chapters 3 and 4. And then chapters 5 and 6 is practical application. We're going to mention all three of those areas as we go throughout this message today. But as Paul gets started, you can tell right away with verse 6 how ticked off he really is. Listen to what he says. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from Him who called you by the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, a curse be on him. And the language in this, in this translation, the, the CSB, is actually pretty light compared to what the Greek is. You know what he really was saying? May he be damned to hell, is what he's saying. Paul is very upset that these people have been not only taught this new belief, but that they're falling for it. So verse 9, he says, And as we have said before, and I'm going to say it again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Here's the point. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus, only Jesus. That's why I entitled this message, Jesus, Only Jesus. Jesus. It's not Jesus plus the Islamic scales of good works versus bad works. And when you get to the end of your life, hopefully the good works outweigh the bad works. No, it's not Jesus plus indulgences that you can earn by certain acts of merit. It's not Jesus plus the Mormon story of an angel appearing to Joseph Smith to give him a new revelation on golden tablets in the the 1880s. No, it's not that. It's not new revelations that are driven by someone's new book of spiritual ideas. You ever see this on, on, uh, on television? Maybe you're watching Christian television and every once in a while you see some guy on television and he's got this new revelation of, the God, of, 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 of that the Lord has given him. And it just happens to be the 5th of September. So I'll use this as an example. It's the 5th of September. And because of that, I was looking in the 5th chapter of the 5th book of the Bible. And if you'll give $5 on the 5th day of the week and then give $50 on the 5th day of the week, of the 5th week, and then God will bless you fivefold if you'll give $5 On the fifth month on the fifth day of the fifth week. Where what? That's a money-making scheme. It's all it is. And it's not Jesus, plus you, you know, maybe you made pancakes this morning, you're pouring the syrup on the pancake, and out popped a picture of the Virgin Mother Mary. And she's weeping. And you thought, well, I need to take a picture of this, so you took a picture of this, and then you framed the pancake and now it sits in your living room and millions of people from all over the world come to watch the pancake weep. What? No. The gospel is plus, is, if you believe the gospel is Jesus plus anything, it's not the gospel. Listen, it's, say it with me. It's Jesus only, Jesus. The message of the gospel that Paul preached, that Jesus gave, that you are saved through faith in Christ alone, by His grace alone. In order to fully understand this book of Galatians, then you really need to understand what Paul is talking about when he uses these terms. So I want to give you some 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 help. If you don't have the My TRBC app, download it on your phone, download it right now. Just go to go to your app store and get download my TRBC, uh, app, because on there I've provided for you in the notes section a glossary of terms that you will find in this book of Galatians that's really important. Terms like the gospel. Uh, justification, faith, uh, grace, law, freedom, fruit, all of these words that he uses often in this book, you need to know what those mean. And so if you look in the glossary that I provided for you, you'll, you'll read my personal definitions of it. And I took that from everything from Webster's to commentaries to everything else, and I kind of created my own little definitions of these, of these words. And so if you'll read that and follow along, oh, also, by the way, there's way too much material in this message for me to get out in 23 minutes, and so here's what we're also going to do. If you'll go to trbc.org after the message, if you'll go to, or after the service, go to trbc.org watch. W-A-T-C-H. We're going to put my entire notes and the entire manuscript that I wrote for this on there. So if I skip something, which I'll skip a lot, you can at least have something to go back and read if you want to dive a little deeper. Okay? Now, having said that, these terms are really important. It's important that we know what Paul is talking about. Sometimes we tend to use words wrongly in our own society, and we don't want to use doctrinal words wrong, right? Take, for instance, the word literally. I don't know what it is about this day and age, but it seems like this, next, this generation coming up behind us, all the kids at Liberty and stuff, I hear it all the time. We use the word literally, like literally all the time, right? We always say like literally. In fact, you watch on social media, people say this like literally all the time. They say, oh, I am literally like dying of laughter. But we're using that word wrong because are you literally dying? No, you're figuratively dying. But it sounds kind of weird to say, I'm figurative you'd be dying of laughter right now. That's weird, right? So we don't say that, but that's really what you're meaning, is that it's a figure. So all that to say is when we use the words grace and when we use the words justification, I want you to know exactly what they mean. Because the very first point is this, and you'll find this doctrine so prevalent in the book of Galatians, we are justified by faith. Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, Paul says. He's ticked off. Actually, J.B. Phillips in his commentary has said it this way. He said the real commentary, the real real translation of the Greek is this. Oh, you dear idiots from Galatia. (laughs) (laughs) Paul had the gift of encouragement. (laughs) Who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ has publicly betrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, now you're finishing by the flesh? In other words, you really want to believe this extra stuff? Why would you? See, the law was God's standard for our sin. It was given to Moses out of necessity because the people were sinning. So God gives them a list of laws that they couldn't break. But the law was so demanding, nobody could actually keep all the laws. So the law is burdensome. It's demanding. It demands forgiveness, but it cannot forgive you. It It demands obedience, but it can't forgive you. And it's impossible to obey it. So you have this law, but then on the other hand, you have this thing called faith. So the law demands that you obey, and all faith asks is that you believe. So faith is the means by which a person becomes a child of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 23. Before this faith came, we were confined to the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian, or our babysitter, until Christ. So that We could be justified by faith. Let me just sum up justification by faith for you as quickly as I can in one sentence. Basically, it goes like this. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he suffered, bled, and died there. Three days later, he rose from the tomb, conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Because of what he did, and because he's the living, breathing son of God, God in the flesh, God sent his son into this world to suffer and bleed on that cross. Because of what he did, when you put your faith in him, what is that? Simply believe when you submit and receive and believe in Christ, confessing with your mouth that He is Lord and Savior, when you believe through faith in your heart that what Jesus did is your way to salvation, then the Bible says you'll be saved. And because you did that, now God, who is perfect and holy, looks at you through the blood of His Son, Jesus, because not of anything you did, of what Jesus did. And so you are now justified, or it's just as if I'd never sinned. See what I did there? The word justified could be defined like this, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. Through the eyes of a perfect God, you are now seen as righteous before God, not because you did anything to earn it, but simply because He did it for you. There was a monk. In the 15th century, his name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther could not grasp this concept. He was so frustrated because as a monk goes, he was the most monkish of all the monks. He was like, he did everything you were supposed to do and more. And every time he'd have a bad thought, he'd go back to his room and literally whip himself and beat himself up simply because he just couldn't grasp the fact that he couldn't be good enough. But he kept trying to be better. And then one day, he was reading this Little verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul says, the just shall live by faith. And then he was looking at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul says a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And suddenly he has this great moment where he realizes that the justice of God is not based off the anger of God towards your sin, but instead God placed all of his wrath on the shoulders of his own son. And because of that, if you just simply have faith, and believe, then you realize that the justice of God is not based off of anger towards you, but rather towards love for you. Because He placed His anger on His own Son, and His Son suffered and bled and died for you. You were worth the cross to Christ. And because of that, you can be justified by faith. And Martin Luther, at that moment, gave his heart and his life to Christ. And then suddenly he wakes up to all the legalism that was going on in the church at that time. Now, legalism is still around. You know that, right? There's so many believers that think that It's not just Jesus, only Jesus. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Oh, but you got to look a certain way, wear certain clothes. I mean, when, when Matt said the word dancing up here earlier, the air just left the room. It was like, you know, because Baptists, man, we get a little hung up on some of that stuff. (laughs) You know, you, you better not drink and you better not dance, but shoot, you can eat all you want and be as lazy and gluttonous as you want. Just don't drink or dance, right? That's how we think. But that's a legalistic mindset. It really is. It's not about what you wear. It's not about how you look. It's about what Jesus, only Jesus, has done for you. So maybe you're a legalist here this morning. And you're struggling through this because it's not just the gospel. It's a gospel plus a bunch of rules and regulations that you've made up in your own heart. Well, can I just tell you that's based off of arrogance, not off of anything spiritual. So I got a legalist hymn I wrote for you. If you'd like to sing along, it's to the tomb of amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That is the wonderful, beautiful song of grace that we sing that is about the justification of faith. But if you're a legalist here this morning, maybe you'd like to sing it this way. Amazing grace, I like the sound of getting something free. I once was lost, but then I found salvation's up to me. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, I'll know I'm there in part because of works that I have done. Hmm. I even made up a legalist cheer. (laughs) Here it goes. We don't drink and we don't smoke or fornicate or tell dirty jokes. Jesus loves us for what we do and I'm pretty sure he loves us more than you. But He doesn't. He doesn't. He loves all mankind equally. And there's no accomplishment you can achieve to make Him love you any more than He already does. And there's no sin you can commit to make Him love you any more than He already does. The fact is you cannot earn your way into heaven. Your salvation is based on faith alone, in Christ alone, by His grace alone. So we're justified by faith. So you simply submit and receive. Oh, but then our faith produces freedom. (laughs) We're called to be free. We just sing the words, I'm free, free, forever I'm free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. That should be the song of the redeemed right there. I'm free. We ought to just run around town screaming, I'm free. And it's not the freedom to vote, it's the freedom from sin. Galatians 5.1, one of my favorite verses. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's the yoke of slavery? The slavery of sin. See, our freedom is grounded in the grace of Jesus which was free to us. But just because the grace of Jesus forgives and forgives, it does not give us license to just live however we please. For even though all things are permissible under His grace, it does not mean that all things are beneficial under His grace. And it certainly does not mean that we're free to just rampantly go about sinning. But here's the main point. When you're set free in Christ, you won't want to go living about a habitual life of sin. Because His grace changes you. He changes your want to. Now, be very careful about what you call sin. All right? Don't ascribe a moral, a, a, a moral application to your opinion. All right? Maybe you like hymns and you don't like contemporary music. Well, that doesn't mean contemporary music is sinful. That's your opinion. You have to be very careful on how you approach this. But look at verse 13. And by the way, if you want to know what sin is, it's all there in the Bible. Good long lists, lots of them. It's right there. But verse 13, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's exactly what I was just telling you. That yoke of slavery is abusing this opportunity that you have in the freedom of Christ. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another German theologian who lived 400 years after after Martin Luther, He phrased it this way in his book, Cost of Discipleship. By the way, if you've never read that book, I would highly suggest you read that book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because the first two chapters alone will rock your world. They're about cheap grace and costly grace. And, And he defines cheap grace as this. Cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without... The cross. It's grace without Jesus. See, cheap grace is this idea that we can live any old way we want to because we're under grace, right? But y'all, that cheapens the very nature of the gospel that set us free to begin with. The gospel sets us free from sin, right? It doesn't make us free to sin, it sets us free from sin. So, in the same way that the wrong mindset about justification promotes a legalistic mindset, the thought that we're free to do whatever we please promotes a liberal mindset. So I figured since I wrote a legalist chair, I should probably write you a liberal chair. Okay, here we go, ready? Put your hands on just like the cheerleaders do. We can think and say anything we please, do whatever, act however, cause we're free. What's wrong for me may not be wrong for you, but it doesn't really matter what on earth we do. That's the mindset of a liberal. You see, we have these two things happening in the Christian church. We have some Christians, liberals, who live this careless and sinful lifestyle, and they excuse all that they do under grace, and they have this attitude and their actions towards sins that's really based on perversion and pleasure, and this abuses and cheapens the grace of God. But on the other hand, you have the legalist Christians who live by this self-ascribed set of rules and regulations that give them this greater sense of holiness and spirituality, but their attitude and their actions are really based on pride, not a genuine love for Christ. And this too cheapens the grace of God. So you have legalists who ignore the grace of God. You have liberals who cheapen the grace of God, and both are wrong. Conviction without compassion is damning. That is legalism. Compassion without conviction is dangerous. That's liberalism. But conviction with compassion, now that's true love. And that's what Jesus was, the perfect balance between conviction and compassion. He was both Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. So we're dealing with this paradox of the Christian faith. Because people think that to become a slave of Christ, they have to give up their freedom to sin. What they don't realize is that it was the sin itself that was enslaving them. So you're no longer a slave to sin because you are set free in Christ. And Paul makes the point in chapter 4 of Galatians that when you are in Christ, you become a son of God. You become a child of God. And if you are a son, you are now an heir. You've been adopted into the family of God. You are no longer slaves. The chains are gone, as we just sang. We are heirs to an eternal home in heaven. And it's all because of grace, not cheap grace, but costly grace. Jesus paid the ultimate price To set us free. How dare we cheapen His grace on the cross by living in the depths of sin and rebellion and wallowing about in our selfishness and our greed and our pride, while His grace constantly reminds us of His selfless act of humility and love. His grace is way too precious for us to abuse. His grace cost Him His own Son. So grace, as Charles Swindoll would put it, is the way to life, and it is the way of life. We've been called to freedom in Christ, the incarnate God. Uh, But this call is a call to die to ourselves and embrace the grace of Christ, which brings us life. And that's why Paul is able to pen these words, these magnificent words in the second chapter of this Magna Carta of Christian freedom called Galatians, when Paul writes these words. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. You want victory? Then you gotta know that you're justified by faith alone. You want freedom? Then be reminded that it was His grace alone that set you free. But you know what, I got one more for you. Not only are we justified by faith, not only are we called to be free, our freedom produces a fruitful life. As the result of this freedom in Christ, the natural result will be that we bear fruit. And God uses the word fruit often in his word when describing what knowing him produces in our lives. So when we follow Christ and we obey Christ, our lives become fruitful. When we walk in the Spirit, our lives become fruitful. That's the way Paul liked to phrase it. In fact, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. See, all of us are born with this nature to sin, It's called the old nature, as as Paul would call it, the Adamic nature, the nature of Adam, this natural proclivity to sin. We're all born that way. We're born lost. We're born in desperate need of a Savior. But when you put your faith and your hope in Christ and He saves you, then you become a new creation. But now for the rest of your life, that old nature has been crucified with Christ, as Paul just put it. But every once in a while it rears its ugly head, doesn't it? And so constantly you're warring against this battle in your soul between this natural inclination you have to sin and the new nature within you that Jesus has given you. And if you're watching my television today and you've never been given that new nature or you're in this room and you've never become a new creation in Christ, I would encourage you even right now just to bow your heads and ask Jesus into your heart to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, and to save you. He will save you. And all of that is based off of you just putting your faith in Him. So if you're watching online and you're watching by television, I would encourage you to do that even now. And then let us know that you've done it so that we can help you grow in the next step in your Christian journey. Because that's just the beginning. Surrendering your heart to Christ is just the beginning. Then it begins this process of growing in Him. And the more you grow in Him, the more fruit your life will produce. You see. So, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. Verse 18 of chapter 5. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's those two natures again. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. And then he and, and, and they're obvious to us too, but he gives you a list of 16 things. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And I love number 16. And anything else. <laughs> That's so... And then he, and he gets to the end of verse 21 and he says this, As I warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean that if you've ever been angry or you've ever had an outburst of anger or if you've ever been jealous that you're not going to go to heaven as a child of God? No. What he's meaning there is that those who make a habitual practice of this stuff in your life, there's a really good chance you don't know Him. There's a really good chance you don't know Christ because people who make a habit of this kind of stuff, they won't inherit the kingdom of God because they've never been a part of it. And the reason we know that is because there's no fruit in their lives to show it. So, the next part, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine things he mentions. By the way, that's not an exhaustive list either. It's not every quality of every Christian, but it's just some of the major ones. And I love this phrase, the law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, just like he said in Galatians 2.20. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, as we close today, I just want to give you a few observations on fruit. I listened to a message from Tony Evans this week. By the way, he spoke in Convo Friday. He's awesome. I love him. His children go here. His grandkids go here. I'm a good buddies with some of his friends. In fact, I was with his daughter Friday up in Connecticut doing a conference. I love this man's preaching. And when I listened to his message on fruitfulness, I thought, well, there's nothing I can say that's even remotely as good as this. So I took his outline. Dr. Evans, this is your outline. I give you full credit. Of course, I'm doing it in my own words, in my own way. But here is point number one. Fruit is always visible. There's no such thing as invisible fruit. If I was up here going like this, (laughs) this apple's good, you'd think I was crazy. Because there's no such thing as an invisible apple. But if I had an apple in my hand and I was eating it, you'd be like, oh, that's an apple, right? There's no such thing as invisible fruit. And if your relationship to Christ is only visible to you, then it's not really much of a relationship, right? Let me ask you this. I'll I'll phrase it exactly the way Tony Evans put it. If you are accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would you be innocent of all charges? Fruit is always visible. So if you're a Christian, people ought to know it. Number two, fruit is always consistent with the plant from which it was produced. It bears the character of the tree from which it is apart, part, right? Apple trees always produce apples. Orange trees always produce what, class? Orange, that's right. It's pretty simple, isn't it? That's not the nature of the tree for apples to produce oranges or apple trees to produce oranges. It's not in its nature. It's in the nature of the tree for an apple tree to produce apples. The nature of the tree defines the makeup of the fruit. So if you're a Christian, we ought got to look like the Savior we serve in our walk and in our talk. It should be a natural thing. Can I give you a little word? In all things natural, be spiritual. And in all things spiritual, be natural. This is not something you have to work at. The pear is not on the pear tree going, ooh, I'm going to be a pear today. It's just happening. Number three. Fruit does not exist for itself. Anytime you see a fruit, eat another fruit, that's a weird thing. What happened to the apple? Well, if a strawberry ate it, I don't know what happened. No, that doesn't happen. Fruit exists for someone else to eat it. Your life in Christ is meant for loving and serving others. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But look at verse 15, but you bite and devour one another, watch out, but you'll be consumed by one another. It's like a precursor to social media right there for all Christians, wasn't it? You know, in the day when men and women would fail in their walk with the Christ, it used to be a private thing and, and we'd still shoot them, but we'd shoot them privately. Now man, you, you get shot publicly because of social media. It's a a shame and a disgrace. Okay, so this whole message I've been talking about, about how it's not about works, right? It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's just about grace. It's about faith. Yes, and it is, because even the list on this fruit of the Spirit is impossible to achieve on your own. So let me give you one more characteristic about fruit. Fruit doesn't try to be anything that it is not. It just is. Pears aren't trying to be anything but pears. Oranges aren't trying to identify as apples. It just is fruit. Fruit is fruit. It is what it is. Why? Because it hangs out on the branch to which it is connected. The job of the fruit is real simple. He just hangs out on the branch. That's it. So the only way your life is going to produce its fruit is to hang out with the Savior to whom you're connected. Paul called it walking in the Spirit. Jesus said it a different way in John chapter 15. You want the secret to all of this? I'm going to give you the secret sauce as we close today. Listen close. Jesus said it this way. Abide in me. Another word for abide is remain. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. And here's the keys. Because you can do nothing Without me. Your faith is in Christ alone by his grace alone. Your freedom as a believer is because of Jesus, only Jesus. The fruit that is a part of your life as a believer is only there because you are connected to the branch which is connected to the vine who is Jesus. And if you are not abiding in him, you will not have fruit in him. It's that simple. The reason we have such a hard time as believers living consistent lives is because sometimes we abide and sometimes we don't. It's like we're jumping off the tree and jumping back on. You will never see an apple do that. But that's what we do. Let me phrase it and illustrate it the way Tony Evans did as we close. He said, he said he's a hot tea drinker. So am I. I had some yesterday morning. I like hot tea, especially as we move into the fall. But and how many of you drink hot tea? Anybody like that? Okay, good. Okay, so when you make your hot tea and you take the, the tea bag and you dip it in the water, how many of you do it like I do it? I dip it in the water and then I kind of look and see when it's just the right color and then I pull it out and if it's not dark enough, I put it back in. Then if it, you know, once it's dark enough, I put it. Then I put my little Stevie in there and it's the perfect little cup of tea. How many of you do it like that? Okay, how many of you just stick the tea bag in there and let, let, let it sit? Okay, so if you do that, then you know that the longer that tea bag soaks in the water, the stronger the tea bag becomes. So some of us live our Christian lives like I make my tea. You just kind of dip in and you duck out. You dip in on Sunday morning, then you're out of here, and the next time you think about Jesus is next Sunday morning. And then you sort of, if something bad happens, you dip back in, something good's going on, you just duck, duck right out. You only need God when it's convenient for you. But that's not abiding. Abiding means you are soaking in the presence of God. You are connected to that branch, and you never get disconnected. So if you want to live a strong and fruitful and victorious life as a follower of Christ, you cannot just dip in and duck out. You have to soak in His presence. And if we will abide in Christ every day, Our lives will be fruitful, giving honor to Jesus, only Jesus. And that fruit is born out of a freedom that comes from Jesus, only Jesus. And that freedom is born out of faith alone and grace alone that has been justified because of Jesus, only Jesus. This is the message of Galatians, the Magna Carta of our freedom in Christ. So learn it, love it, and live by it, because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. It is faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. It is say it with me. Jesus, only Jesus. Can we just give Jesus praise today? He's the reason we have hope. So let's do this. Let's stand together. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're struggling with this whole idea of legalism, and you're just trying so hard to make everybody live like you. Can I just tell you this? Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. You you, you can't live like that. Grace is so freeing in your spirit and yet at the same time we can cheapen it so easily. Maybe you're cheapening grace in your life because there's some sort of sin in your life and, and it is arresting your attention at all times. Why not give it up? Just Come back down to the aisle this morning and get reconnected to the branch from which you're apart so that you can be connected to the vine who is your hope and your eternal security. Get reconnected to Jesus this morning. But if there's some of you in this room and you've never met him, like I said earlier, just simply bow your head and pray and ask him into your life. And then come tell us so that we can lead you through the process of what it is to really, really, really know that you're a child of the King. All right? So let's do this. We're going to sing maybe a verse and a chorus of this great song called Jesus, Only Jesus. As we sing, I just want to remind you the altar's open. Pastors are down here in front. But let's take this moment just to reconnect with the Savior who loves us so much that He gave His life for us. Come on, let's sing it together. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our So this morning I want you to leave with confidence knowing that you are justified by your faith alone. That you have been set free by His grace alone. Now, leave this place and live fruitful lives. And if you're wondering if something's right or wrong, here's all you have to do. Just ask yourself this. Is this pleasing to God? And if the answer is yes, then in the freedom of Christ, go do it. Live for Him, everybody. This community needs you. God bless you. Have a great day, all right? Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, We're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.